Most gracious and heavenly Father, we thank you for being such an amazing God. We thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to come here. And Father God, you know, I just come before you because there's absolutely nothing here that I bring. I can only claim to uh, and cling to the blood of the cross of Calvary. Father God, I ask that as I speak here, it be you and not I. And as usual, I ask, Lord, that you be with my brothers and sisters here, that you prepare our hearts and our minds to be receptive to your word. May you bless us and keep us now. Pour out your spirit as we open your scriptures. It is my prayer in your most holy and precious name. Amen. So, you know, there are several instances in your life where when you come to the realization of something, you know is bad. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, for me, I have this thing with... Um, with, with breath mints and things like that, I always try to carry gum or breath mints because it, it, it's, uh, it, it's, 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 how, it's, how, it's how I like it. You know, I want to make sure that your breath is not smelling when you're talking to me. People love to whisper to me all of the time. You know, they love talking to me and everything else. And, and I get that, especially in church. And so for me, it's like, yeah, you know, I don't know if you ever had anybody tell you, hey, your breath smells. I don't know, but you know, that's okay. You know, people smell it before you do because you're projecting that way. But when you realize that your own breath smells, you know it's bad. When you're saying, hi, what is that? Hello? Oh, mercy. You know, when you realize that it is you, then, then, then it is, you know, it's a pretty big deal. The same thing happens when it comes to sin. When, you know, people are easy to, to pick out, you know, oh, well, you're messing up here, you're messing up there. But when you realize yourself that you're doing something bad or something that is not worthy, you have one of those like, oh, my, wow, this needs to change. Well, I've had many instances like that in my life with many different things. However, there was one realization that I came to that it was not really my fault during, during, the, during that, but, but it kind of was my fault, but it wasn't my fault. You see, let me tell you what happened. I was born in Massachusetts. When I was a few months old, I moved to Puerto Rico, and I was raised there. I came here in my, in my teen years, came, came to middle school, came to seventh grade. Uh, I was more of a preteen, came to seventh grade, and they put me in an English-speaking school, all English-speaking. There was an ESL class, but the teacher, all he spoke was English. So, I mean, it kind of, it just made it very, very hard. He didn't help too much. ESL is uh, English to the second language, but everything else was English classes. And so what they did is that they put me together in class with my cousin Chico. My cousin Chico, his name is Carlos, we call him Chico. Uh, you have to understand something about him. He was um, 17 in 7th grade and 18th in 8th grade. He had been in 7th grade a couple of times already before I got there. I like to think that he was waiting for me so that he could give me a hand as we were going through the classes. And so, uh, you know, we were the only kids driving to school and parking with the teachers because, you know, after all, he had a license in middle school. So it worked out very well. Um, my cousin Chico, he, he tried to teach me English and, and, and I would ask him things like, you know, Chico, how do you say agua? He says, you know, water. And I say, how do you say hola? You say, what up, dog? And then I would say things like, how do you say, um, you know, be quiet? He'll say, you know, shut the blank up. And, and he would go on. And next thing I know, I realized that my cousin Chico, every other word he had taught me was a curse word. I attended a Spanish church, so I never got to practice my English around church folk, and it was just Spanish, so I never got, it was only in school. 
And so we find ourselves roughly about a year and a half later from me speaking Chico English that we find ourselves in an English class in the middle of a test and he is sitting there next to me and he keeps bugging me and saying, hey, what's the answer to this one? And hey, what do you got for the other one? And I get, shh, shh, Chico. And then suddenly he kept bugging me. So with my preacher voice, I went right ahead and say nice and loudly, Chico, shut the blank up. And the teacher, you know who she is. You know, she's that lady with the glasses that she looks right over them. And she's like, Mr. Suarez, see me after class. And so I, I spoke with her. We had detention, my first time in detention. And that was the first of many. And I spoke with her. And she says, listen, you know, I, I try to ignore how you speak in class when everybody's talking and all of that. I hear you. But when everyone is quiet... And you simply just let it all out. I can't ignore that. Why do you speak so horrid? And I said, what do you mean? Because you see, what had happened was, is that every other word coming out of my mouth was a curse word. My, first, my favorite one was like, you know, poopy. But, but the other one, you know. And so I would say things, we'll use censorship because we are in church after all. You know, but I was walking down the street and bleep. And you should have seen this bleep. It was the biggest bleep I ever seen. And that's how my typical sentence was. So the teacher was like, yeah, that's bad. And I said, what about this one? Yep, that's a bad one. And what about this one? Yep, that's a bad one too. And this one, mm-hmm, this one is bad too. So I realized that I spoke Spanish and Chico English. I realized that Chico English was horrible. I realized that, you know, how can, how can I, a child of God, a churchgoer, you know, have such a dirty, filthy mouth? So now I had to relearn how to speak English all over again. And it was so hard because for the last year and a half, and then some I had been speaking in this manner. So I had to relearn all over again. And it just, it just broke my heart completely. And so that was one of my many realizations of things in my life that I needed to change. I don't know if you had your own version of Chico English, your own realization that, you know what, I need to get rid of this and, and, and get this out of my life. You know what, I need to change something. Perhaps I need to relearn how to do something. I know when I do marriage counseling, spouses, sometimes they got to relearn how to be a husband or a wife to their spouse. Because the way they've been doing is how they saw it in their own homes when they grew up and they become their parents. And perhaps they got to relearn how to do it anew, whatever that is. I don't know what it is for you. But I do know that we all have our struggles. The Bible says we all fall short of the glory of God. Not one can say that we got it all a-okay. We all struggle. I remember some years back talking to my brother. My brother and I, uh, he, he and I took two different paths during our teenage years. And so he finds himself at a total opposite spectrum of where I am. And I said to him, you know, Reuben, we, we call him Flaco as a nickname. I said, Flaco. You know, you should come to church, man, and, and, and you know, I'm preaching this day, or, or my son is, you know, doing special music, or this is happening. I mean, she just got my generous, like, Joey, if I enter that church, the whole place will catch on fire. I have done so much wrong. I am so evil that if I were to enter, the whole place would begin to, to just burn up. And that just broke my heart. Because you see, we think sometimes, you're thinking, yeah, Chico English, whatever. I still do it all the time, especially when somebody cuts me off in traffic. It's okay. It's part of everyday life. And you may not think that there's anything wrong with the whole Chico English thing. But in his case, you know, he really feels that it is so bad 
that he will enter church and the church will catch on fire because of his entire lifestyle. Exploring with different drugs and different things and different, you know, social things, etc. And that's how he felt and it made my heart ache. And I pray that you here, churchgoers, know better. I pray that you do because it is not how it works. Go with me to Mark chapter 5. I want to show you something in Mark chapter 5. And when you get it, go right ahead and say amen. Uh, Mark chapter 5. Now in Mark chapter 4, I'm going to give you the background as you find your way to Mark chapter 5. And just let me know when you got it. In Mark chapter 4, you see here Jesus, he is asleep. And there's a storm that comes. And the disciples are all scared. Now the disciples do the whole boat thing, you know, but yet they freaked out with this storm. And then they even got smart with Jesus. They gave him an attitude. Hey, you don't even care if we die. What is wrong with you? So Jesus, uh, he, he talks to them. He looks at them. But then he gets up and does something amazing. He tells the storm, peace be still. And the storm and the seas, they calm down. And the disciples are like, whoa, what manner of man is this? That nature itself, that the, earth, that the seas and, and the winds obey him. And they were surprised, they were impressed with the power of Jesus. Because you see, there were many false, fake Christs at the time there. People that, that pretended to be the real Christ. And they were doing a few miracles here and there. But to control nature, this was different. This made an impact for them in Mark chapter 4. Then you go to Mark chapter 5. We're picking it up from when the storm is over. They come to land. They, they get to the other side of the sea. They come to land. And immediately when they hit land, this guy comes out from the tombs completely without clothing, all cut up, smelly, stinky. He's running out ah, towards them. The, the, the disciples, they, they, they kind of freak out a little bit. They get scared. They, they, they head back a little bit. But yet the demon... All it does is that it bows before Christ and it begins to plead. Oh, Jesus of Nazareth, please don't torment us. What do you want with us? Have mercy on us. And so Jesus asked them, what is your name? Verse 9. Can somebody tell me the name that is there? Legion, absolutely. Chapter 5, verse 9. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are what? For we are many. For we are many. When you read this whole chapter, it tells you that no chains could bind this individual. That no man could tame them. No one could, but there was a man that could. And his name is Christ Jesus. To the point that the demons could do nothing but plead and beg for mercy. Please do not throw us into the abyss. Please do not torment us. And then after that they ask permission to be allowed to go into the swines. You may have heard this story before. And then we see here on verse 13 will tell us approximately how many swines are there. 2,000 Swines, 2,000 pigs. So you have my brother who feels he has done so much evil in his life that he's not worthy to even enter the church. 
Then you have here in the scriptures in Mark chapter 4 a Christ that even the nature itself obeys him and listens to him. Then you have it in Mark chapter 5 where this demon possessed man that no one can tame found someone that, that, that in fact can tame him and had to do nothing because they couldn't help it but to acknowledge who he was. Oh Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, son of God. And then they begged and asked. And they were, what was the name of the demon again? Legion, for we were what? A little bit? Many. We know that it was at least how many? 2,000, right? Scholars believe that it was as much as 6,000 demons inside this individual because the, the term legion, when you use it in the military, if I have a, a, a legion of soldiers, I have 6,000 soldiers based on the language and on the times. They believe that it was at least 6,000. But even if you don't know the history, even if you don't know uh, the, the language here, you at least know that it was at least 2,000 demons. And I ask you the question, perhaps you too were called a hijo del diablo growing up like I was, a child of the devil. Uh, but, but are you really that evil that you have at least 2,000 demons inside of you? I mean, we all struggle with a few. Well, I, I, I get that. But you that evil. And even if you were, is my God so powerless that he cannot tame that demon or those demons in your life? In my God, is my God so powerless that he cannot get rid of that in your life so that you can move forward in your spiritual life? My God is an awesome God. My God is an almighty, all-powerful, omnipotent God. That is the God that I serve. And he breaks my heart when we don't tap into that power because of our misconception of who he is, because of our misunderstanding, or because we've bought into the lies of the devil. Because, you see, you have to understand something. And be ready for this, church. You have to understand something. The judge is Christ. The advocate is Christ. And the accuser is the devil. It cracks me up in church when we misunderstand our role and we try to do one of those three. When we think that we can go right ahead and judge people or when we try to defend people's sins or lifestyle, or perhaps our own, because we don't, we don't really defend people. We, we point them out to make ourselves feel good for the things that we do. And then it messes me up when we try to take the role of the accuser. First of all, you are not God and I pray that you ain't trying to be the devil. Crisis, that's right. If you can't say amen, say ouch. And, and so understand and understand this. The devil does his best to give you a misconception of who Christ is so that we don't tap into that grace and that joy because his grace is sufficient. Doesn't matter what you've done, you're able to come to him. And he will say to you, just like he did to that adulterous woman, Where are those that condemn you? Neither do I. Go and don't do it again. That's how he works. Come to him and he will give you true rest. Go with me to John chapter 15. Go with me to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. And we'll learn a little bit more of how this works. When you have a say amen. John chapter 15 verse 1. It says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I don't know if you're familiar with planting and all of that. I'm assuming here probably you do. My front yard and my backyard in St. Pete is nothing but sand. And even if it was nice uh, uh, grass and whatever, I have a black pale thumb. I, I kill every plant that I touch. I had a church member gave me some peppers. It lasted like a week before I forgot to, to water it. And there was no reviving that thing. Um, but, but, but if you know anything about this, it, Jesus is using an illustration of, of, of vineyards and trees and branches and how that works. And so he's saying, I am the vine. I am the one. You know, through the vine is where all of the nutrients and everything gets transferred throughout. Okay, my father is is the vine dresser. He's the one that takes care of us. And you are the branches. You are connected to me. You are you, you are an extension of me. And it says every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away or he cuts. The Greek word there is actually he cuts out. All right. And I think the King James probably use it cuts uh, and other versions do. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Interestingly enough, pruning is a form of cutting. You cut around those little bad leaves and everything else so that the rest of the healthy stuff can grow even healthier. So in order for a plant to grow healthier, you have to cut around some of the bad stuff around it so that it can grow. Are you with me so far? Yes? All right. Let's keep reading. Good, because this is, I don't know much about this. I, I grew up in the city, but let's go ahead and keep reading verse 3. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. This is why sometimes we make the grave mistake thinking that we could do everything correct and follow every law in the Bible by our own might, our own power, and by our own doing. And that's when we get ourselves in our own mess of trouble. Because we depend on ourselves rather than depending on Him. It is all about abiding. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you could do still a few things. You can do what? Nothing. We think we can. The devil would like us thinking that we could do it without God. But no, without abiding in him, we can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. Verse 7, today's scripture reading. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done to you. I don't know. Um, I don't know if you have heard this text before. Ask whatever you desire and it shall be done to you. And many people use this in some churches. They, pre they preach prosperity. I'm not a big fan of preaching prosperity because the, the truth of the matter is that if you are standing up for God and you're doing things productively for God, the devil will do his best to throw everything your way to attack you or discourage you. Sometimes being in the sight of God means the furthest point from prosperity. 
There's a different peace and joy that comes from being in the side of God. So people say, well, you know what? Jabez, pray, expand my territory. And here we see in John 15, 7, you ask whatever you want in his name and it shall be given unto you. And I'm not saying that that's not possible. What I'm saying is that if you're doing things for the Lord, it's high, highly unlikely. If you're doing things for the Lord, you might end up inside a burning, fiery furnace. You might end up inside a lion's den if you're doing things for the Lord. The difference is that in the middle of all of that, even in the middle of the furnace, in the middle of the den, even while being stoned like Stephen, even in the middle of that chaos, you could still have a joy that can only come from the Lord. You can see the kingdom of heaven open up to you as you're being stoned just like Stephen was because that is that kind of joy that my God gives that even in the midst of chaos, you are at peace. When chaos happens and your co-workers, your neighbors look to you, a follower of God, and you look just as hopeless and as frantic as them, it is a high time to pray and watch. Because that's the time that we should be able to shine and should be able to trust and have faith in the Lord. That is the time where Christ really shows who he is through you if you simply allow him to. So in here when it says you ask whatever you want under my name and it will be given unto you, it pertains to that pruning concept. Lord, I want to bear fruit for you, but this is in my life. Will you get rid of that? Lord, I want to do this, but will you please take this off? Will you please take this out? Let me get a volunteer up here. Maybe the young lady there in front of you, Mr. Guzman. Can you come up here for a moment? What's your name? Jasmine? Hey, Jasmine. Huh? Grimson? Come on up. I want to show you something. I, I want you to pretend... Here, can I hold your hand? There you go. All right, I want you to pretend that I'm a dock. She's a boat. And here is a rope holding her to the dock. Go ahead and go back to your seat. See, I picked on the little one. If I would have gotten Mr. Guzman, he would have pulled me with it. She's almost doing it. Don't be so strong. Don't make me look bad. I'm preaching. Okay, but she can't get anywhere. She can't move forward because there's still something that is tying her up. There's still something that is keeping her back from moving forward in her spiritual life. And we can't really go backwards. We can't really do this of ourselves because he says there a couple of verses earlier that without me, you can do absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. So that we, might need, we need to go back and go ahead, go back to your seat. And she needs to cry out to God and say, Father God, Christ, Heavenly Father, listen, I'm trying to move forward in my spiritual life. I'm trying to do this, but these things are still keeping me tied up. I need to get rid of this filth. I need to get rid of this thing that is holding me back, that is keeping me from moving forward. Yeah, I can hide it. You know, we could pretend that it's not there. Go ahead, go back to your seat. But yeah, I still can't because it is still tying me up. So we need then to cry out to the vine dresser to go right ahead and prune those things out of our lives. Go ahead and go back to your seat. Prune those things out of our lives that are keeping us from moving forward. We have that opportunity. Therefore, in John 15, 7, it says, ask whatever you want in my name. Doesn't matter what it is. Even if you think that when you set foot on the church, it's going to catch fire. Even if it is a legion of demons inside your life, whatever it is, you ask it in my name, and it will be given unto you. That is how my God works. But we must ask him to get rid of these things in our lives. Because without him, we can do absolutely nothing.
Let's go to the last section in scripture for today. It's 2 Samuel chapter uh, chapter 21. 2 Samuel chapter 21. When you have it, say amen. 2 Samuel 21. We're going to begin on verse 15. 2 Samuel 21. Let me know when you have it. Second Samuel 21 verse 15, it says, When the Philistines were at war again with Israel, David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines, and David grew faint. Verse 16, Then Ishbibonab, who was one of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose bronze spear was 300 shekels, who was wearing, bearing a new sword, thought he could kill David. Verse 17, but Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, came to his aid and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, You shall go out no more with us to battle, lest you quench the lamp of Israel. So let me tell you what is happening here. You know, I don't know if you remember when David killed Goliath. We probably heard the story as kids in, in, in earlier chapters also. Here's David. He killed Goliath. I don't remember. He kneeled down and he grabbed five stones. Some scholars believe it's because, you know, perhaps he was concerned about Goliath's brothers coming and showing up and being present there because he had four other brothers. And so here we get to see now later in life, David is not a little boy anymore. He is much older now to the point that he got tired in, in, in the middle of a fight. It's like me after going two flights of stairs. You know, he completely just waxed faint. And so he, he was in that battle and they said, look, you're not going to go out with us anymore lest you get hurt, lest the light of Israel is quenched. And so that's what we're seeing here in 2 Samuel 21 beginning on verse 15. Now, what is the name of the giant there? That they face stuff with. Can somebody tell me? Anyone? Ishbibonah. In the land of the Chaldeans, the name Ishbibonah means dweller of the heights. Vanity. See, I don't know for who of us here the, 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 the sermon of our message is name your giant. Because I share with you some of my struggles. I share with you the rated G ones, of course. But you, you see here that for some of us, perhaps vanity is that thing that is keeping us tied down and keeping us from moving forward in our spiritual life. You see, thou shalt not have any gods before me. Well, I like to put myself first before God. And now because of I, 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 I violate that commandment. Thou shalt honor your father and your mother. Well, I, I'm not, they don't tell me what to do. They're not the boss of me. Thou shalt not lie. Well, I don't want to get in trouble. Thou shalt not steal. Well, I don't want to pay for it. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, I'm not happy with just one woman in my life. When you look at everything, all of the commandments, the laws, we get ourselves in trouble because of I, 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 I. You haven't spoken to your brother and sister for a very long time. Well, I'm not, I'm not humiliating myself. They, they need to come and beg me for forgiveness. I, I, I. It almost sounds like that other guy, right? I'm, I'm too pretty to, to, to worship God, right? I, I, I will ascend up above the most high. I will sit on the throne of grace. Remember that? That, that's a quote from the devil himself in the scriptures. He too was thinking of I, 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 I. So perhaps for some of us, 
Maybe Chico English is, is not your problem. Perhaps it's vanity. Maybe that is your challenge. Maybe that's what it is. Let us go ahead and keep reading. Verse 18. Now it happened afterward that there was again a battle with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibekai, the Hushatite, killed Saph, who was one of the sons of the giant. What is the name of the giant mentioned here? Saph. In the land of the Chaldeans, that name means desire or pornography. Do you know for how many of us perhaps it's not vanity, but it is desire or pornography that it is a big struggle? And we think that this is a guy thing only. Guess what? Lately we've seen more and more ladies being cut up into 50 shades of all kinds of desires. All over that. And they struggle even more. And it's not like back in the day where you needed to have a subscription of something mailed to your house in a magazine or whatever. Now with the beautiful eye devices, you could just look at it right all there in the privacy of your own home. And you could get caught up into that even more to the point of it becoming a severe addiction in your life. Maybe that is the thing that you're struggling with that is keeping you from moving forward. Remember, who you are when no one is watching is truly who you are. Verse 19. Again, there was war at Gob with the Philistines where Elhanan, the son of Jeragoim, the Bethlehemite, killed the brother of Goliath, the Gittite. The, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. We see in 1 Chronicles 25, 20 verse 5 that the brother of Goliath was named Lami. And so Lami and Goliath, Goliath means fear, Lami means doubt. So perhaps your struggle is not vanity, perhaps your struggle is not desire, perhaps the thing keeping you from moving forward in your spiritual life is fear or doubt, because the devil is the master of doubt, and perhaps he has implanted that in you. I remember growing up, I was afraid. I didn't want people to see that, that I was afraid to be, uh, um, that I was a Christian. So what I used to do, I used to come up for creative ways to pray for my food. Any meal you get is something to be thankful for. You should always pray for your meal. You should always pray for traveling mercies when you head out on your car. Never get on a car and take off without praying for protection. Prayer is always a must. And I understood that even as a teen, but I was too afraid for my friends to see me. So I would like, Young, my prayers. Oh God, thank you for the food. We pray, Amen. Sometimes I would drop something on the floor, and on the way down, Amen. And I would come up with creative ways so that they had no idea that I was a Christian. And perhaps that's what it is. Isn't it somewhere in the Bible about you know if you deny Christ? Before the world, he'll deny you before the Father. But, but, but if you showcase him before the world, then he would definitely talk you up to the Father. That's almost biblical, isn't it? And so fear may be the thing that is keeping you from moving forward in your spiritual life. You see, you have to understand something. We have lots of hope to become something amazing. For me, my hero in the Bible is not Jesus. It's Peter. Because Jesus, he's awesome, and I love Jesus, but He's the son of God. Hey, he is God. But Peter, on the other hand, he was a dumb, hard-headed fisherman. He was a guy that after walking three and a half years with Jesus, when the soldiers came, he tried to kill the soldiers and ended up cutting the soldier's ear off. And then after that, he went right ahead. And, and when they say, hey, aren't you one of the ones that was, that was walking with Jesus? They're like, yeah, yeah, no, not, not me, not me. 
And he denied it not once, not twice, but three times. And the third time, I think Chico also studied with my, I mean, I think Peter also studied with my cousin Chico because he came out with Chico English to prove that he wasn't a, a follower of Jesus. Because they say you even sound like him. You know, you were wrongeth. I shall not be a follower of Jesus. You know, with that old King James English. So they said, look, you even sound like him. So the Bible says he started cursing to try to make a point. But that's not why Peter is my hero. I look up to Peter because when he finally clicked for him, how great he could be if he truly made my God his own, if he truly abide in Christ, that later in Acts, we see where he came up and there was a guy on the steps and he says, look, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give unto you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Later in the book of Acts, we hear that he even did greater things than Jesus. You see, Jesus said it. A helper is coming and you will do greater things than I. And what happened? When Jesus was walking one time, a lady who had a blood issue touched his clothes and she was healed. Peter, on the other hand, in accordance to the book of Acts, he will walk by people and his shadow will heal people. And that's why I say, wow, if this dumb, hard-headed, stubborn fisherman who wanted to fight with everybody, who was cursing up a storm, who did the whole attempted murder thing when they came to Jesus, if he could click for him, if he could connect for him, because, I mean, he was, he was really stubborn. And yet when he clicked, my God was able to do so many amazing things through his life. And my God can do the same thing in your life. If you simply allow him to eliminate those giants out of your life, whatever that is. Let us go ahead and finish a chapter here, beginning on verse 19. Uh, sorry, verse 20. Yet again, there was a war at Gath where there was a man of great stature who has six fingers on his hand and six toes on his foot, 24 in number. And he also was born to the giant. So when he defied Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shimei, David's brother, killed him. These four were born to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. So what is the name of the giant mentioned here in the last verses that we read? I'm sorry? There is no name. Absolutely. Because you see, perhaps your struggle may not be desire pornography, vanity, fear, or doubt, but you know the name of your giant. And so I want to encourage you to give the name of your giant or giants to Christ and ask whatever you will in his name, and it shall be given unto you. Now, who, what is the name of the person that killed this no-name giant? Jonathan. Do you know what that name means in Hebrew? It means Scent of God or gift of God. It means older brother, fraternal friend. Who is our older brother? Who was sent of God or a gift of God? Absolutely. And that same Jesus who was there for Peter, that same Jesus who got rid of legion, is the same Jesus that can eliminate the giant in your life.